Good morning, everybody. It is great to see your faces and to hear your voices. If you're new with us today, a special welcome to you. It is good to have you with us. You know, I wonder if you've ever heard the old saying, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I don't even know who said that originally, but that saying has been made into a song in almost every musical genre in existence. Blues, country, bluegrass, even Christian music. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And it's true in some ways, right? Everybody desires things about eternity and about heaven. But there are so many unknowns to us about the afterlife that it's daunting to think about getting from where we are today to that moment and to that place. Today we continue in our series called From Old to New to You, and we are tracing themes throughout the Bible from the beginning all the way to the end and seeing how the story of God is informed by these themes throughout. One of the ways to think about it is this, is that sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it can feel like you are walking in a trail in the middle of the woods. And you like where you are in the middle of the woods. It's beautiful. You see many things, but you don't have a clear idea of exactly where you've been in the forest. And you don't have a clear idea of exactly where you're going in the forest. You don't see the forest from the trees. But when you are able to stand above the forest, either on the mountain or you see it from a helicopter, you can see the entire trail in its entirety and it gives you a more comprehensive picture of where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. Looking at the themes in the Bible like we're doing in this series is a way to function like a trail map to help us understand the story of God from start to finish and our place in it even more fully. And so today we look at the theme of creation and recreation. The story of God begins and it ends with creation. The story of God begins and it ends with the fact that God creates. And so this morning, let me tell you that story from beginning to end. Creation and recreation. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see the account of God creating the world and everything in it. And the very first words of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1, and 2, tells us of this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And very early on in this story of God, we see three realities about creation that emerge. The first one is that God created by the power of his word. God merely spoke and matter came into existence. His word is that powerful. 
The second thing that we see is that God created the world ex nihilo, or out of nothing. Now some of us have grown up with a knowledge or without a knowledge of God and we're tempted to disregard the Bible's teachings on creation because we have this false notion that the Bible and science are somehow in sharp contradiction to each other. Some of us, on the other hand, have heard the story of God and creation so many times that we're tempted to gloss over the grandeur and the power of such an ability that is unique to God. You know, creativity is lauded in our time, and I think every time, as an incredible ability. And the creators of lesser stature than God are some of the most famous people in the world, in nearly every sector, whether that is in art, the incredible art of da Vinci and Van Gogh and others, or the creation of sound through musical composer after musical composer like Aaron Copeland, or the creation of incredible food as flavors are melded together to create something that you have never experienced before from the greatest chefs the world has known, or the creation of new technology and the astonishing things that we see that can be done now that couldn't have been done before. And in fact, we see two of these technology giants even right now, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, racing to become the first billionaire to space. These people do incredible things. They have an incredible creative ability. But do you know what none of them could do? None of them could create something out of nothing. Every single one of them needs material or access or knowledge that has been acquired by others that they can build upon. They all needed something to create something else. But when God created the world, he created it out of nothing. He simply spoke. And the verbal paintbrush of God, which painted the landscape of the sunrise over the Swiss Alps, or the sunset over the Pacific Ocean, or the tulip fields of Amsterdam, or the wildlife of the Galapagos Islands, found his most beautiful, this God did, found his most important, most precious creation when he created men and women in his very own image. And we see that the third aspect of creation that God gives in this most beautiful creation of men and women and this incredible creation of the world around us is that God created the world and he created you for his glory. Colossians chapter 1 tells us of the role of Jesus in creation and it describes that all things were created through him 
and for him, and in him all things hold together. To say that all things were created for him indicates that creation has a purpose. The purpose of creation is to glorify the Son of God. The atmosphere, the mountains, the rivers, the plains, the fish, the birds, the livestock, and the humans are all created for him. This is the purpose of creation. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 paints this same picture of the glory of God being made manifest in creation as we see the scene of heaven and the Father is on the throne and he is surrounded by four living creatures that are ever crying before him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the 24 elders surrounding the throne, kneeling prostrate before him, casting their crowns down onto the ground, are singing this, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The purpose of God in creating the world is his glory, his splendor, his unique ability on display, and his character. Everything that God created was good, and it has an incredible mark, an imprint of him on it, and an incredible purpose. But in this story of God, when Adam and Eve sinned against him, the creation was marred and the creatures were marred as well. And this resulted in Adam and Eve being expelled from paradise, the Garden of Eden. They now had to enter into a world that still bore the marks of God's glory, but it also bore the marks and the stain of sin. And sin did not just provide a small blight on the perfect creation, because as the story of God in Genesis advances, this sin continued to get worse and worse and worse. And men and women and boys and girls continued in their sin until the earth was barely recognizable. And they, made in his image as his most perfect and beautiful creation, were now completely ugly. And this led God to a type of recreation. And we see this recreation very early on in the story of the Bible in Genesis chapter 6, and we see it through the flood. It says this in Genesis 6, 5 through 7, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. 
So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. And the action of God in Genesis chapter 6 in which he flooded the earth is many ways a repeat of the judgment that God gave just a couple chapters earlier in Genesis 3 to Adam and Eve when he expelled them from the garden. Sin had spoiled the perfect garden and now sin had spoiled the perfect creation. And God judged the earth through a flood to cleanse the earth from this sin. But God was gracious. God was gracious to Noah and to his family and he saved them. And as the waters of the flood receded and a cleansed and in a sense recreated earth emerged and the echoes of God's command of blessing to Adam and Eve are now given to Noah. In Genesis chapter 9, in this new recreated earth, it says that God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heaven and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all of the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. And so in this recreated earth, God blesses Noah. He provides for his family. And he does so through all of the creatures and plants on the earth. But even though the world is cleansed, externally, the hearts of people have not been cleansed internally. And their pride and their arrogance grows. And God judges them at the Tower of Babel. And he spreads them out and he confuses their language. And now people again are separated from God and separated from each other. But in Genesis 13, God does another work of recreation. But this time, he doesn't recreate the world. This time he recreates a person, Abram, who when God makes promises and covenants to him to bless him and to make him great throughout the world and for all generations, this recreation of a person is signaled by the changing of his name from Abram to Abraham. And we've talked about in previous weeks how this recreation of a person becomes a creation of a people, God's people, who would be with him and he with them. And they would display his glory in the world. And that leads to the story of the rest of the Old Testament, the story of God and his people, which is a story of this creation of a people, and then a cycle of recreation and rebellion and judgment and recreation and rebellion and judgment. It's the story of God and his people. 
He loves them, he helps them, he redeems them, he calls them to himself. They sin, they rebel, they turn away, but God is gracious. He doesn't just let them go off in their sin, he judges their sin. It's not just to punish them, though that is part of it. He judges their sin to continue to direct them back to himself. God knows them better than they know themselves. God knows what they need better than they know what they need, and God continues again and again and again to bring them back and to recreate them into a new people. Now there's an implication here for you and for me, and the implication is this. I imagine that you have experienced, and I certainly know that I've experienced many times throughout my life, the same experience as the nation of Israel. You may have felt like your relationship with God was going well, that you loved his nearness, that you sensed his presence, that you were succeeding even for a short time in obedience to him, and you were experiencing the blessings that follow that obedience. But like all of us, at some point, sin tempted you. And you succumbed. Not just once. (laughs) Not just twice. Your gaze turned away. And after a while, God became distant. And you became apathetic toward him or the things of him. But sooner or later, the circumstances of your life changed. Maybe the consequences of your actions caught up to you. And this wasn't by accident. This was God getting your attention and pointing you back to himself. He created the relationship with you. And over time, he recreates it again. And he does that for your good (laughs) and for his glory. That's in so many ways the cycle of creation and recreation and the frustration and the struggle of sin that I have and that you have in this life. That God is gracious in his ways and he continues to pull us back as we continue to wander away. In the middle of this story of God, at the climax of it, we see that God sends his son, the Lord Jesus, to continue this work in creation and in recreation in the world. Jesus begins a type of recreation. He comes to display the glory of God on earth and he begins this act of recreation in the world and this act is a recreation primarily of people. The magnificent news of the gospel is that in Jesus, you become a new person. When you trust Jesus to forgive you of your sins, there is a divine trade in which he takes your sin and the penalty for it to the cross and he gives you his righteousness. He clothes you in it and now you have a new spiritual standing before God. You become a new person. You are recreated. 
And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about this. It says, it talks about our longing, our internal desire to be recreated. And it talks about Jesus' work in recreating us. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5 too. For in this tent, that's our earthly body, in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. When he says, in this body we groan, he's not talking about the groan that some of you have when you roll out of bed in the morning because you've slept poorly that night or because maybe you have arthritis in your fingers or because you have all of the issues of aging which causes us all to groan. (laughs) He's talking about the fact that there is something in our makeup, there's something inside of us that recognizes that things aren't right. (laughs) That I'm not complete yet. That the struggles that I have and that I succumb to are something that I don't want to continue to struggle in forever. I groan. But he goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 19, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God and through Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so intuitively, internally, spiritually, we all know that something is wrong, and so we groan in this tent that we have, which is a consequence of living in a sinful world and having sin in my life. And yet, at the same time, God takes what is old— and groaning, and through the Lord Jesus, he reconciles us to himself and makes us new. It says a new creation. The work of Jesus is a work of new or recreation for you. How can an adulterer become faithful? How can a thief become generous? How can a racist become welcoming? How can a murderer become gentle? Only through reconciliation to God, through Jesus, the creator is also the recreator. But some of you haven't done those things. And nevertheless, you groan because of your need to be recreated. And so how can your guilt be taken away? How can your porn addiction become pure? How can the one who struggles with anger become loving? How can the perpetually dissatisfied become content? 
Education isn't going to solve these problems. Just knowing more. D.L. Moody once said, if a man is stealing nuts and bolts from the railway track and in order to change him, you send him away to college, at the end of his education, he will steal the whole railway track. (laughs) Education isn't going to fix the problem. Minor maintenance to become a better you or a small upgrade, that's not going to do. You need to be recreated. And the good news is that through Jesus, the creator becomes the recreator. And he recreates people for two reasons. Reason number one is that God desires to be reconciled to sinners like you and me. (laughs) because he loves us that much. Reason number two is that humans are the image bearers of God. Sin mars that image and God desires his image to be portrayed accurately forever. God is not going to let himself appear tainted for all of eternity. He recreates you and restores an image of purity. So God not only recreates people, but he will also recreate the earth. But here's the thing. You need to be recreated, you need to be recreated, enabled or in order to enjoy God's new creation. You need to be recreated to enjoy God's new creation. You need to be a new person to enjoy God's new earth. Romans chapter 8 points to this. Listen to the sense that Paul gives about the creation groaning. We've talked about you groaning and me groaning, but did you know that the creation also groans? Romans 8, 19 says, For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You groan because you know something isn't right and you are not as you should be. Creation groans with one loud voice in many displays. And you can see it and you can feel it. The earth is beautiful, but it has so many problems. It groans because of the sin of Adam and Eve. It was subjected to futility. But it will not be so forever. God will recreate people, and he will recreate the earth. 
Creation and recreation are at the beginning, the middle, and the end of this story of God. He creates and he recreates. He creates and he recreates. He creates from the first words of the Bible to the very last chapter. Revelation chapter 21 gives you a picture of eternity that God recreates the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up not really understanding why heaven would be so great. I mean, I knew it was going to be better than hell. But the picture of heaven that I had in my mind was probably similar to the picture that author Stephen King has in his mind about heaven. In 2014, he was interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine, and Stephen King, who had spent most of his career writing about death, was asked by the interviewer, do you hope to go to heaven? And he responded, I don't want to go to the heaven that I learned about when I was a kid. To me, it seems boring. The idea that you're going to lounge around on a cloud all day and listen to guys play harps? I don't want to listen to people play harps. I want to listen to Jerry Lewis. And here's the reality. When you think about eternity, I don't know what you think about, but you will not be in heaven for eternity. Did you know that? you eventually will be on a new earth because God who created the earth is the recreator and he will recreate the earth. But you need to be recreated yourself before you can enjoy this new creation. Some of you have remodeled your house and when you remodel your house and you have that nice, beautiful new living room with those shiny wood floors and fresh paint on the walls. All of a sudden, your dingy old chair doesn't look so good anymore. When you buy a new car and you begin to transfer the stuff out of your old car, and some of you might even still have those really old fuzzy dice that you had like in the 70s. They're pretty dirty by now and they just don't quite fit in your new car. God recreates the earth to perfection and he does not take imperfect beings into that new earth. You need to be recreated to enjoy his new creation. Revelation chapter 21 gives us the picture. It says this, John gives the vision, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from the heaven of God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be with his, with his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Heaven and earth are gone. A new heaven and a new earth will come. And if you are a new creation in the Lord Jesus, then you will be on the new earth. But what will it be like? Well, I imagine it would be a lot like this earth without the groaning. Imagine everything that you hate about this earth. Pain, hard, agonizing labor, disease, mosquitoes, and the incessant temptation to sin, those things won't be on the recreated, perfect new earth. Now imagine all the things that you love. The smell of the mountain air. The random occurrence of wildlife in your backyard. The best foods and the sweetest relationships and the most exhilarating fun. And above all, enjoying the nearness and presence of God forever. The new earth awaits. The creator is the recreator. What will it be like? I won't be lounging around on clouds listening to angels play harps. The new earth will be the very best of a perfect recreation from the most talented of creators for his people who he loves the most. In fact, loves so much that he bought them back to himself just so that he could recreate them. You need to be recreated to enjoy God's new creation. And the story of God in the Bible from beginning to end is that you can be through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The story of God is a story of creation and recreation, beginning to end, and you are a part of it. And as we close this morning, I love the picture that Max Lucado gives as a glimpse of the allure of creation and desire to get there together. He writes, I make no claim to being a good golfer, but I love to play golf, watch golf, and on good nights, I even dream about golf. So when I was invited to the Masters tournament, I was thrilled. A pass to the Masters is a golfer's holy grail. Mine came via the pro Scott Simpson. Off we went to Augusta National Country Club in Georgia where the golf heritage hangs like moss from the trees. I was a kid in a candy store. It wasn't enough to see the course and to walk through the grounds and to see the beautiful flowers, he writes. I wanted to see the locker room as well, where the clubs of Ben Hogan and Paul Azinger are displayed. But when I got there, they wouldn't let me in. A guard stopped me at the entrance and I showed him my pass and he shook his head. I told him I knew Scott, but it didn't matter. Only caddies and players he said. 
Well, he knew I wasn't a player or a caddy. Caddies are required to wear their white coveralls, and my clothing was a dead giveaway. And so I left, knowing that I had made it all the way to the door, but denied entrance. God has but one requirement for entrance into this new recreated earth. And it's that you be recreated by being clothed in Christ. And so when someone prays, Lord, take my sin away from me, these rags and clothe, and clothe me in your grace. Jesus, in an act that is only visible to the eyes of heaven, removes the stain of sin and replaces it with the robe of righteousness. He recreates us. And because of this, we have no fear of being turned away at the door of heaven or the new earth. It's the story of God. It's a great story of God, the creator and recreator, and you are a part of it. And we thank the Lord and glorify him that he includes us in it. Let's pray together. Father, you can do the thing that no one can do. You alone are God in your majesty and in your ability and in your patience and in your grace. We long for the new creation. We groan in this body. The earth groans in its present state. We pray, come Lord Jesus. For anyone who is here today, God, who knows that they are not found in Christ, they have not surrendered to him today, they still feel the overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and longing for something better. Lord, I pray that you'd minister right now by your spirit through this word to our hearts and minds that we would enjoy you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.